Well, as always, when I come back here, it's very good to be back here. And I'm especially thankful for the opportunity to be here on this very special occasion in, li- in the life of Providence Reformed Baptist Church. I obviously have uh, very, very many fond memories of the years here uh, in which at least some of you were here for most of them. And uh, some, like Randy and Wendy, were here at the very beginning, 19 plus years ago. So I'm very thankful to God to be here. And let's begin this morning, this evening, this afternoon, by um, looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I won't be preaching a, a message on this text per se, but this is the beginning point. And um, my message will be quite similar to Pastor Steve's. He had seven exhortations directed at the congregation. I will have just five exhortations, uh, but they're, you know, kind of um, various exhortations taken from the Word of God, and uh, that'll be the course that's before us. But let's start with Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, so the Greek-speaking Jews, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte, from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So let's look to the Lord and ask for his blessing once again on the preaching of the word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and ask that you would so work by your spirit during this hour that we will be able to behold wondrous things from your law and that you would use it in the life of this congregation, especially for Randy, for Pastor Steve, but for all of your people as well. Thank you for this happy occasion of the ordination of another man to labor in the word and doctrine here at uh, Providence Reformed Baptist Church. And may this be not simply a day of joy, gladness, and blessing upon the church, but it may may be, be the beginning of much blessing to this church in the days ahead. So receive our thanks and hear our prayers and answer us, for we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, and of course, as was mentioned this morning, and as you all know, it's a very happy occasion today in the life of Providence Reformed Baptist Church. I'm very thankful to have been invited here for this and that I can share in your joy with you. 
uh, in some ways, I thought this is really um, an illustration of Jesus' words, ask and it will be given to you. I say that because at least I know over the 19 years I was here, there may not have been a single request that was lifted up by our congregation to the Lord more frequently than this one, that the Lord would give us a plurality of pastors. And I presume that has been the case in the intervening years as well. So it might seem to be an extreme illustration of the truth of that text in that uh, there was at least 33 plus years of praying for that, but it is a good illustration. It's a true one. I remember back after I finished my studies at Trinity Ministerial Academy, and so that would have been 1989, and I moved out to the Twin Cities, and I had my home there in Brooklyn Center, and there was a young man at the time who, was, who lived out on the West Coast, and he was traveling across country to go to Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was like Pastor Nutter did uh, many years ago, but it was not Pastor Nutter, but it was another young man, and he was traveling, and he stopped with his family to spend the night with us, and so we had dinner together, and then he and I went out for a walk, and he asked me, he said, you know, you've just finished a course of ministerial education, and he says, I'm just hopefully embarking on one here when I go to Grand Rapids. He said, what advice would you give me at this point in time, you having just finished your studies out there in New Jersey. And I gave him what my advice was. The, the main thing that came to my mind, I told him. I remember what it was. I won't um, um, bother you with it right now. But as I thought about this message, what I'm going to preach is in some ways very similar to that instance. Um, I'm approaching this message that way. Now that I have been a pastor for 33 years, if Randy were to ask me, or if anybody at this point in my life were to ask me, I'm beginning to embark on a period of time as a pastor in a church, and I've never pastored before, what advice would you give me now that you have been a pastor for all these years, and I'm just beginning my time as a pastor of a church? This is what I would say. I'm not going to say everything that would come to my mind, but I'm going to say the things that especially came to my mind over this past week as I thought about and then sat down to prepare for this message. And the first thing, in fact, the first couple of things come right from this text. This text is, is about the ordination of officers in the church, but not of elders. It was deacons that were first ordained there in the church in Jerusalem on this occasion. However, it does say some things about elders or pastors. We had the apostles and other elders who were pastors there in the church in Jerusalem. And in verse 4, in part of explaining the rationale for having deacons in the church, they said, but we, that is the gospel ministers, the pastors, and in particular the apostles, we will give ourselves continually to prayer into the ministry of the word. In other words, the reason we have, we'll have deacons in the church here is because there is work that is especially pastor's work, and then there's work that is especially deacon's work. And so they're saying, we want to give ourselves to pastor's work, and the deacons can give themselves to deacon's work. 
Now, in both, case, in both cases, you use the word in the original, diakonos or diakoneo, which is minister. So, we are going to minister the Word of God, and the deacons are going to minister to the widows, or they're going to wait upon tables. That's the deacon's work. What's the pastor's work? Well, Paul says two things about it. We will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And so my first heading, then, is the first thing that comes here, and that is my first exhortation is just a one-word exhortation for Randy, and that is pray. Here we have a two-word summary of the primary work of the apostles, and it's really the primary work primary work of pastors in the Church of Christ, and that is Prayer and the ministry of the Word. Just a two-word summary, if you will. It's a very concise statement about what the work of pastors is. And when you have such a concise statement in the Bible, you have to say a couple of things. That it's a select statement about what the work of pastors is. It doesn't, answer, it doesn't mention everything but it's also a significant statement. In other words, if it's only one or two things that are pointed out, out of a whole bunch of possibilities, they must be very important things. So it's a summary of the work of pastors with just two basic things. And the first one is prayer. Prayer is significant, and it is put first. You, Randy, as Pastor Nutter mentioned this morning, are not, at least originally, as you begin to serve as a pastor, going to be set apart to labor in the Word and doctrine and give yourself entirely to the work of a pastor. In God's kind providence, that has been my experience ever since I was first made a pastor here, and it continued in that way uh, when I've been out at Trinity Baptist Church. So for all of my 33 years as a pastor, I have been set apart to labor in the ministry. You will not be, at least initially. So you will not be relieved of your full-time secular employment. And yet still, I want you to appreciate this point, that this is the work of pastors. Your time is going to be restricted in a way that mine never has been to prevent me from praying the way I want to and the way that I feel that I should. And I bless God for that. Whenever I've looked at men who have, including our present, uh, there's one man on our eldership in New Jersey, Shazad Khan, who has a full-time secular job. And I feel for him, and I would never want to be in his shoes, but I'm thankful for him and his self-sacrificing labors on behalf of the Church of Christ. But his time is restricted in a way that mine is not. So though your time is restricted, I would urge you to maintain this priority. In other words, you're looking at life right now, and you're saying, my life is going to get busier. I still have a full-time job. I still have a wife. I still have a family. I'm still a church member. And now I'm going to add some more responsibilities. However much time they take, as you mentioned earlier, they are weighty responsibilities. But in light of all that, prayer is important, and it's even more important in light of those things. So bear this importance in mind. And think for yourself, as I try to carve out time in my schedule, kind of look at it kind of like tithing. 
I, I have more expenses in my life, but always off the top of my whole list of expenses, here's an amount that I cannot let change. Here's an amount I will not diminish. It is God's amount. Look at prayer that way. You may not be able to increase the time you pray right now by much. Increase it. Don't let it diminish because you're more responsible and have more responsibilities. And if something happens and you're saying, how did this happen? I'm now a pastor and I'm praying less. Talk to your fellow pastor and say, I need to do something here to change. Maybe I can't lead the service once a week. Maybe I can't lead every week, but do something. Remember the words of James. We heard it this morning. I think this was the one text, Steve, that I mentioned over the lunch. That you have not because you ask not. And let's not think, not you, Randy, not myself, not you, Pastor Steve, let's not think that we are somehow exempt from what I remember hearing Pastor Martin once call this law of the kingdom of God. It's a law. You have not because you ask not. I mean that in the general way. I remember before I I left Michigan to travel out to New Jersey to study for the ministry, and I was having a conversation with someone in the Reformed Baptist Church in Grand Rapids, and he was talking to me about the fact that I was going to be leaving and embarking on a course of study for the ministry And we got to talking about this very subject of the importance of prayer. And I told him how that was a burden in my heart. I said, you know, I'm going out. I'm going to have a busy life. I'm going to be a full-time student for a while. Then, God willing, I'll become a full-time pastor. And I said, I I, I feel the pressure. I know what my life has been like up till now. How of all the things you have to fit into your life, one of the things that it seems like even good, godly people find so easy to cut out of their schedules or just leave out of their schedules or just get squeezed out of their schedules is this matter of prayer. And I was saying, I don't want that to happen. And I said, sometimes I think, here we as Reformed Christians, we read about things like the Great Awakening, we read about revivals, we read about the Reformation, and we think, how wonderful. And then we think, we need to pray that God will come and work in those ways again. And I'm thankful to God that we do pray that way. But I said to him, you know, sometimes I think we're like people saying to God, where is the God of Elijah? And I think we don't stop to think, might God be saying to us, where are the prayers of Elijah? If you want the answers to prayers that Elijah received, where are the prayers? Remember those things. And Randy, believe the things I just said. Believe there's a reason why Luke wrote this first and why the apostles said that first. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. And then live in light of that as far as God enables you. You will probably die without having prayed as much as you wish you had and as much as you planned to do, but determined that God helping you, you will not die with regrets that include 
guiltworthiness. Determine that you will be a man of prayer as much as God enables you with the schedule that you have. Like I say, maybe you will labor as a pastor uh, for a number of years, and then maybe you will be set apart full-time in the ministry, but maybe you never will. But however much time you are able to be set apart, and however much time you are able to manage Let it be true of you, which was true of the woman who anointed Jesus before his burial, so that Jesus said, she has done what she could. Do what you can before God. I would not lay on you uh, something like what Pharaoh laid on the Hebrews, that you make bricks without straw. But make the bricks that you can make through this work of prayer. So that's my first exhortation, pray. And the second one is what follows in this verse, verse 4. The apostles said they would give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So the second thing is give attention to the Word of God. And it's a, a, a two, uh, two-pronged focus, if you will, or I have two foci in this exhortation. And the first one is the ministry of the Word, and that's what we have in view here. We will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. If you're a pastor, you may, you may not be one, like we read this morning from uh, 1 Timothy 5.17, who is given to labor in the ministry of the Word, but you still are a pastor, And you will be ministering the Word in one way or another. Whenever you preach, you will be doing that. When you counsel people in their homes or in this building or whatever the situation is over the phone, that's the ministry of the Word. So give attention to the Word. First of all, the ministry of the Word, because as a pastor of one of Christ's flocks, this is your great calling, whether ministering, as I said, in public or in private. Let's turn to 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2, first of all. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, a very well-known text, a text that probably is very often a, um, a text used on occasions like this for a sermon. But Paul says to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Give attention to the ministry of the word of God. Look at another text in the same epistle here, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Paul says, Be diligent. To present yourself to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Even if you're not a fully supported pastor who labors full-time in the word and doctrine, you still are being called to rightly divide the word of truth to God's people as you have opportunity. Like Jesus said to... um, Peter, in in, uh, John 21, he is to feed God's sheep. He is to tend God's sheep. That's what you are to do, and you're to do it with the Word of God. So be diligent to present yourself approved. 
That's your great calling. And then also under this point of the ministry of the Word, remember that Scripture is the one point at which we must take our stand as God's shepherds, God's under-shepherds. Like we read in Isaiah, to the law and to the testimony. As Pastor Nutter said earlier, that we want the people to listen to what we say and evaluate what we say. Is this something that Christ is truly saying to me? It's not saying we are suspicious of pastors. It's saying we're just like the people of Berea. We're more noble-minded than the people of Thessalonica. That we are to evaluate everything by the Word of God. We judge it by what the New Testament says, by what the whole Bible says. And we want God's people to do that. We want to teach them to say to the law and to the testimony. We want to teach them to say what what Luther said. This is what Scripture says. So here I must take my stand. God helping me, I can do nothing other and I can do nothing less. And in the midst of all the moral chaos and confusion in our day on social matters, political matters, ecclesiastical matters, Scripture is the one and it is the only safe and certain light that we have, the only safe and certain guide or map that God has given us. Regard it that way and take your stand there when you think of the ministry of the Word of God. And then secondly, under this heading of give attention to the Word, um, this is not the primary focus of the text in Acts 6.4. It is the ministry of the Word there, but I also don't want to fail to mention this. And give attention to the Word of God when it comes to your own personal intake of Scripture. You know that as a Christian man now for many decades, that the Word of God is your life. Like with Jeremiah, your words were found and I ate them and they became for me my joy and the delight of my heart. Well, if it's that way as a Christian man in general, which it is for every true Christian, it's that way all the more for a shepherd of God's people, a pastor. And the point is that if you are going to serve up the Word of God to people, whether from the pulpit or from a couch in someone's living room, you need to take in the Word of God first so that you can serve it up to others. And remember that just as for a Christian, every Christian, Scripture is the one thing that feeds, sanctifies, and saves us. It is especially true for Christians. You need the Word of God all that much more if you are going to minister the Word of God to others, and that is your calling. So just as you have believed is always true as a Christian, you need to feed on the Word of God. You need Psalm 1 to meditate on it day and night. You need it for the sanctification of your soul. Jesus prayed, Uh, sanctify them, Father, by the truth. Your word is truth. As James said in James 1.21, that the word of God is the word that, um, that saves us as a Christian. That's how I look at the word of God. I need it every day. Look at another passage here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
verses 14 and 15, Paul's famous words to Timothy. He says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And of course, he meant his mother and his grandmother there. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You need to take in the Word of God, just like Paul told Timothy, continue feeding upon the Word, Timothy. Why? Because now you're in a position in which you need to feed others also. Verse 16 as well, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that's the pastor, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, and especially the work of feeding the people of God and guiding the church of Christ. And that is the way that these people will receive benefit from your ministry if you are faithfully feeding upon the Word of God as a Christian man as well as as a shepherd. Go back to one other text here in 1 Timothy. It's 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. And note the order that we have here. 1 Timothy 4 verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. In other words, take care about your own doctrine, what you believe, make sure it's scriptural and true, before you stand up here to feed others. And also take heed to yourself. In other words, your own soul before you worry about feeding other people. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Note the biblical order in this text. When you get up in the morning, or whenever you do it on a regular basis, and read your Bible, why are you... Well, put it this way. What is the main reason you're doing it? It's not so you can have a sermon this Sunday, because this Sunday I know I need to preach. It's so your own soul can find benefit so that you will be able to feed others also. Regarding these first two points then of um, prayer and giving attention to the Word, I just want to recommend three chapters in Pastor Martin's um, volumes on pastoral theology, The Man of God. There are three chapters in volume one of his books there, on the means to attain, it's a real Pastor Martin title, the means to attain and maintain a real, expanding, varied, and original acquaintance with God and His ways. Excellent chapters. I highly commend them on this point. It just it makes the point of all that I've just said is really the point of Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So the first thing is pray. The second thing is um, cultivate attention, or give attention to the Word of God. And now here's the third. Listen. 
And here I don't mean listen to the Word of God, though that was implied in everything I just said. Listen to people. Listen to God's people, the church, but also listen to whomever God brings across your path as a gospel minister. It might be visitors to the church. It might be somebody in the church who has a a relative, and they say, my relative is in the hospital. He's not a Christian or she's not a Christian. Would you, would you be willing to go and visit that person? You don't know what kind of gospel opportunities God will give you. And I'm just saying, listen. Listen to people. One text on this point is Proverbs 18:13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Now, of course, that means if you have a habit of always talking when ever somebody says something to you and you talk like you know all the answers, this is especially speaking against that kind of an attitude or that kind of a, a mentality. But it also works just across the board, and it especially works, I think, for pastors as I look back on all my years of ministry. It's important to listen to people. Sometimes we're tempted to think, You know, I have been a pastor for quite a while, and I've been studying the Bible for quite a few years. I think I know what your problem is. And frankly, I hope as a pastor, if you're a faithful man, very often that is the case. But I still think it's important, very important, for pastors to listen. My main text comes from 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. And here Paul says to Timothy, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. So this is is my main text on this point of listening. And listen is not even explicitly mentioned in those two verses, is it? But it certainly is implied when it says that you don't argue with people, you be gentle toward them, you be able to teach them. And I don't think the emphasis there is on gift, but saying conduct yourself in a way so that you will be able to teach them. And then be patient, and verse 25, in humility correcting those. You put all those things together, that tells you Whenever you're listening to people, even people that are, as you go on to verse 26, it tells us that they are in the snare of the devil in some way. The point is, you still have to not strive with them, be gentle toward them, be able to teach them, be patient with them, and be humble. That means you sit and listen to what they have to say. Why is this so important? Let me give you a handful of reasons why it's so important. Number one, because everybody is different. We should never have a one-size-fits-all approach in the ministry. Now, sometimes we do. In other words, if someone is doing something that is clearly sinful, you tell them what the Word of God says, and then just to shorten it here for the purposes of time, you tell them to stop it, all right? That is one size that fits all. When people are sinning, you just tell them, stop it. All right? But you do want to say it in uh, not quarrelsome, gentle, patient, and humble way. And that means you have to listen to people. Jesus didn't need to listen, did he? Because, as Scripture says, John chapter 2, 
He knew what was in the heart of man. And that's so evident as you read through the gospel accounts. Jesus knew everybody's deepest need upon meeting them. But you still see from his ministry, he didn't answer everyone in exactly the same way. But he did answer them in a way that he knew what they needed and how they needed to hear it. And in your case, you will not know what someone's deepest need is unless you listen. Another reason it's important to listen is this, that even if someone is deceptive, is just trying to lie to you by all his answers to your questions and by everything he says. And he really knows where you're trying to go as you try to apply the Word of God. He knows you're trying to go to this one area of his life that he really doesn't want to talk about. Now, you don't know about the five former husbands of the lady at the well in Samaria. Jesus did. He knew right where to go and how to get there. You only find out by listening. So listen to people. Turn back with me to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14. And this applies to the things I've just been saying here. This is an important text for pastors, I believe. Paul says, now we exhort you, brethren, and he's talking to the whole congregation, so he wants them all to act this way, but it's especially important then that the pastors act this way. Now we exhort you, brethren, Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. There's that emphasis on patience again. And he says, there's, he, he, he puts people into three different classes. Unruly, faint-hearted, and then weak. And you as a pastor need to realize you have different kinds of people And the point is, you've got to find out what kind of people they are so you know how to treat them. And you have to do that, in a large part, by listening to them. Now, I do not mean that you need to listen to a person so that person that you're dealing with can tell you just how you need to minister to them. There's no shortage of people like that, especially in our generation of people who are so self-centered and so, um, how can I say this in a gentle and humble way, who are so weak, I'll just use the language of Paul in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, who are so weak that they can hardly take even a gentle admonition, let alone a strong reproof. But you need to listen to them so that you can know just how to administer the scriptural medicine that you know you need to apply. Are they unruly? Are they just standing there? And even though they're smiling, they're really just digging in their heels and saying, you're not going to go there with me, preacher. Or are they people who are weak? And they're always going to find it difficult to hear the spiritual medicine that you have to give from the Word of God. But you know there is a way to give it with a, just to use the word of Mary Poppins, with a spoonful of sugar. Not that that's a biblical notion, but you get the idea. Make it gentle going down. That's why we're called shepherds. Because sheep are not only dumb, but they're also weak. But they will follow when they are gently led. Listen 
to the people God gives you. A third reason it's important to listen is this, because God is patient. And if God is patient, then we, his servants, should be patient. Every Christian is told that you shall be perfect from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 48. You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, the emphasis of that text is love. You should love everybody. Love your enemies. Love everybody. That's the emphasis of the Word of God there. But it's also true about patience. We know that God is patient. Listen to 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. So here's God, the governor of this whole world. And the Bible tells us that God, in his government of the whole world, is long-suffering. He's patient. Sometimes we ask, especially in these days, why do all these things go on in the world? If God, who is holy and hates all sin, and God, who is the judge of sin, and God, who is sovereign over everything, why does this stuff go on for so long if God is the judge of the world? Well, here's part of the answer. Because he is characterized by long-suffering. He's patient. And God's governance of the world is excellent. It is excellent government. And yet it is marked by patience. And so we, especially as Christ's under-shepherds, God's servants, we should imitate our Heavenly Father. If we do, it will help us to govern His church well. And it will be a blessing to us, to our people, to the church of Christ, to the kingdom of God. Listen, because God is patient. You be patient like Him. Remember that when you get into difficult situations, I remember myself of this, and I try to remember my fellow pastors of it many times. There are difficult situations, and as pastors, sometimes you know things, oftentimes you know things, a lot longer than the people of God in the church know things. And it's hard to just sometimes carry on and you want to tell other people things you know, but it's not right for you to do that yet. You have to be patient. In many cases, as pastors, you you realize it's very important that you take some action regarding a certain situation, but it's far less frequent that you have to act today about something. And often, you really would be unrighteous if you acted immediately about something you know needs action. Look at another text in the epistles to Timothy. 1 Timothy 5, 24 and 25. I'm having to break into the context for the sake of time here. But Paul says, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Sometimes you need to work with people. You're confident. You're pretty confident 
that there's some serious sin here that needs to be addressed, but I just can't put my finger on it yet. And you need to be patient, and you need to continue to listen. But believe what the Word of God says. God will bring what needs to come to light to the light. And He will do it in His own good time, which is not necessarily our timetable, but it's God's. I'm not saying when you get into difficult situations, give in to your fears about addressing a matter. Or just pretend that there's no problem where you know that one is. I am not saying that. What I am saying is this. Let things that need to ripen before you take uh, necessary action sometimes. Let them become clear, especially if it's a kind of matter that could eventually require church discipline. Remember, you don't just act as one man, or in your new case, two men, when it comes to church discipline. It is the church that needs to act, and it is the church whose conscience needs to be carried when necessary. And then the final thing about why it's important to listen is this, and don't miss this, because this is what Christ commands to us. You have to be patient and humble and gentle, as it says in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. That's the Word of God to us. And this should carry out and carry over to the way that you work together with your fellow elder as you come into the eldership here at Providence Reformed Baptist Church. So my next point is this. Fourth exhortation, cultivate humility. Cultivate humility. And then related to it, I won't treat it separately so much, but related to this, cultivate deference. You're going to have, for the first time in 33 years, you will have two men pastoring in this church And it will be two men shouldering the yoke together. So you have to defer to one another. And then if you do that, you cultivate humility and cultivate deference toward your fellow pastor. That is the way that you will be cultivating unity in the eldership of the church. So cultivate humility, deference, and unity. The text here is Mark 10, verses 35 to 45. A week and a half ago, I was in Grand Rapids for a pastor's conference. For that conference, Conrad Mbewe from Zambia was there preaching to us, and this was his topic, humility. Especially, he was, he was preaching primarily to pastors, and that was the focus of what he said. So I just would like to give you his, his headings of his outlines, and each one was the, the heading of a sermon. His first point in the sermon, the first message was this. It's from verses 35 to 37 of Mark 10. Our fallen nature craves greatness. Look at it in the text. Uh, Verse 35 of Mark 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. So we read that text and we say, How arrogant. 
how self-centered, how blatant, shameless. And yet, while no one of us would like, no one in this room probably, would likely speak that way, not at least in the hearing of others, yet I hope every one of us will acknowledge we still have the remaining sin in our hearts that motivated James and John on that day. Never forget that. The second heading was this. Our fallen nature idolizes our ability. Verse 38 into verse 39. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Again, here we we marvel at their answer. They said to him, we are able. In other words, like one of my granddaughters, yeah, we got this. That's not, no, confidence is good. And confidence for gospel ministers is good and important. But this is self-confidence. And that is not the kind of confidence that helps us in the ministry. And that is not the kind of confidence that makes us useful in the master's hands. So don't idolize your own ability. Third point of the sermons, or third sermon heading was this. Greatness is a gift of God's sovereignty. Verse 39b into verse 40. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism that, I, baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. In other words, it is God who puts you where he wants, when he wants. Rest in that. Most of you don't know this probably the way I know it anyway. Randy has wanted to be a gospel minister for a long time. He and I have had many discussions about this over the years. And now, today, March 27th, 2022, Christ is making him a minister in his church. Blessed be God. God is the one who does it, and he does it to whom he wants, where he wants, when he wants. And I just say to you, Randy, rest in that. And I bless God that you, I can say you have rested in that. Always rest in that. Instead, don't ever adopt the attitude, well, this should have happened long ago, or I should be preaching more. Maybe you should, but rest in what God is pleased to do. I always try to think back to Moses. 80 years before, in a sense, hands were laid on him. But it was God's time. He was God's man. Let me just give you the other three headings because I need to finish. The fourth heading was in verse 41. History is marred by egotistical battles. Verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. I mean, what, what should they have done? Poor James and John, to have acted that way right in front of Jesus' face. 
They just were upset. They, they got there first. History is marred. You just read church history by egotistical battles. God keep you two men from it here at Providence Reformed Church. Fifth, Christian leaders must be humble servants, verses 42 to 44. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Christian leaders must be humble servants. Never forget it. Yes, today, Randy, you are being put in a place in which people, based on the text we heard this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 12 and 13, people will owe you, Hebrews 13, 17, more respect, a cut of respect above what they owe to every other member of the church. Why? For your work's sake, as Scripture says. They owe it to you in that sense. But it's not because of you. It's because of where Christ has put you. But in that place, you must serve humbly. And it's ironically by serving humbly that you earn the respect of God's people. And then sixth and finally, Jesus is our greatest example of humility. Verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I'll come back to that. But as we conclude this point, think of Psalm 133. I mentioned unity. Cultivate humility, deference to your fellow elder, and thus you'll be cultivating unity in the eldership. There's that precious psalm, Psalm 133. How Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the the oil running down the beard of Aaron, down his head, down his beard, onto his garments. What a blessed thing. Well, unity in the church of Christ begins where there is more than one pastor. It begins in the eldership. I labor in an eldership of five men. And they're not five men with just, you know... um, Weak, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Laid back personalities. They're not. They're five men who are strong men. That's why they're pastoring the church. It's difficult to have unity in an eldership, but I, I bless God that we do. And I think this is the way to it. I know my fellow elders, I know my own heart and my sins. You have to work at this. But where there is unity in an eldership, there is far more likely to be unity in a church. From there, it will spread to the church. Think how Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 11. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. If we imitate Christ as pastors, there's hope of blessing. And the blessing will come then as people imitate us while we are imitating him. The way you will have unity in the eldership is by being humble and by deferring to one another. 
Let me read um, Psalm 122, a little bit of it. Psalm 122, verses 6 through 9. I think that the attitude expressed in this text is so important when it comes to humility, deferring to one another, and to unity. Here's the psalmist, David, and he says at the end of the psalm, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. He's saying that about the city of Jerusalem. He's saying that about the people of God. For our purposes, he's saying about about the church. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of Christ's church. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, Peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord your God, I will seek your good. In other words, reading between the lines, what he's saying is, For the sake of the house of the Lord my God, I will seek its good. For the sake of the people of God, I will seek their good. In other words, I'm not going to seek what makes me most comfortable. I'm not going to seek what puts me in a better position. I'm going to seek what puts them in the better position. And I want to have that attitude toward my fellow pastor, and I want to have it toward every member of the flock. And if that's not my attitude, I don't belong up here. And may God help me then, and may God help you, Randy, and may God help you, Pastor Steve. And then my last point comes from this, and it's simply this. Care, meaning care for the flock. Care like Christ. Like I said, it flows from this text. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Seek the good of the people of God. How did Christ care? He was genuine in his care for his people. He was devoted in his care for the people. And he was, as we just saw, humble as he served the flock of God. Just think of the statements of Scripture. Think of his life. Philippians 2, 1 and following. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to lay out what that mind was and why it was there. Or the words we just had in Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man, even the Son of God himself, did not come here to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Think of the words in John 13, starting at verse 1, about what Jesus did the night before he was betrayed. What did he do? He loved his own to the end. He wasn't worried about himself and their ministering to him, though he was the one that was going to get killed that night. He wasn't worried about that. He was concerned about them. So he took off his garments and he took a towel and a basin and he washed their feet. That's the calling of the minister. 
ask God to help you cultivate the attitude, whether it's in relation to your fellow pastor or whether it's in relation to any one of Christ's dear people. I don't matter. And may God help you. So in conclusion then, Paul said to Timothy that he was his son. In 1 Corinthians 4, he spoke of Timothy as my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. And in 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, he spoke of Timothy and he said, you are a true son in the faith to me. Perhaps it's true that part of what Paul was saying, at least, was that Paul was the instrument used in God's hands for Timothy's conversion. I don't know that. I think a lot of people think that's the case. It's possible. So, Randy, in that sense, you may not be my true spiritual son, but Maybe, I mean, this is the way I'm going to look at these kinds of things anyway, because I pastored now at least in two different places in my life. Maybe I could say you're my adopted spiritual son, because for a while here, I mean, over quite a few years I pastored you, and then for a few years I served with you as an officer in this church. So that's how I'm going to look at you, my adopted spiritual son. So a few words in closing then from a father to a son. And I'm taking them from Paul. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those that hear you. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, and that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It will come into your life in a way it never has before as a pastor. And who knows what it will bring in these days that we live in now. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And if you do these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Randy, may the Lord enable you May you labor faithfully and wisely as many years as God gives you. And may he bless you and Pastor Steve and Providence Reformed Baptist Church abundantly. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for bringing us to this happy day Thank you for opening your hand and giving another gift to the Church of Christ here. Enable our brother to labor faithfully as many years as you give him to serve here in this flock of your people. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon him in such a way that he will be equipped for all that he is called to 
as a gospel minister. And we ask that you would do this for the glory of your Son and in his blessed name. Amen.